You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares from the wellsprings of Jewish spiritual teaching and practice and guides us on a path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine. As we approach Rosh Hashanah, I want to take some time to explore what's really the essential quality of this day. It's the central practice of this day, and, and it's really the identity of this day as it's found in the Torah itself. And that has to do with, with the shofar, with blowing the shofar. You know, as much as we're accustomed to Rosh Hashanah as Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment, and as Rosh Hashanah even, as the beginning of the year, when the Torah speaks of this day, of the first of the month of Tishrei, it actually doesn't call it Judgment Day or the New Year. The Torah calls this day by two names. One is a Yom Tru'ah, a day of Tru'ah, and one is Yom Zichron Tru'ah, a day of remembering Tru'ah. Now, Tru'ah, in its simplest sense, means blowing a horn, like the, the language of Lahariah, to, to blast a horn, shows up throughout the Torah. And we're very familiar with Trua as particularly the final um, of the, the three kinds of blasts of the shofar, the, the fast kind of staccato, the really broken up sound. So it seems like as far as the Torah is concerned, all this is is a day of blowing a horn. That's the central mitzvah of this day. That's what this day is about in its essence. But what is the shofar? And why is that the central practice? And, and, and maybe for our purposes, how does the mitzvah of shofar, or rather the shofar itself, both in its particular mitzvah, but really in a broader sense as the defining quality of this day, what does that invite us into as far as the kind of state of mind the kind of practice that this day centers on. Obviously, it, it, in a very practical sense, has to do with blowing this horn, but, but what does that look like as a defining element of a whole 48-hour period for us? What is our avoda on this day of Trua? So to explore this, I want to start with a midrash. Midrash on the pasuk that, that speaks of, of this day of Trua in Parshat Amor. The midrash in Vayikra Rabba Kaftet says the following, Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Nachman Patach. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rabbi Nachman, they're quoting now from Tehillim Mem Zayin 47. This is the psalm that many communities recite seven times before the first shofar blowing. And one of the psukim there says, Allah Elohim bitru'ah, Hashem and bekol shofar. Elohim, God, arises through tru'ah and Hashem in the voice of the shofar. And Midrash says, Bishasha Kadosh Baruch Hu Yoshev Ole al Kisedin, Badin Hu Ole. When God rises and sits on the throne of judgment, God arises through judgment. Maitam, where do we know this? Allah Elohim bitru'ah, because the Torah, the, the Psalm says that Elohim rises through tru'ah. And we know in, in Chazal's association, the different names of God refer to different qualities. The name of Elohim is the name of, of creation, the name of judgment. It's the name of this is how it must be. It's that forcefulness of God, the decider, the executor of the divine will. However, this Pasuk says, right, Elohim rises in Shruah, and then Hashem in the voice of Shofar. So the, 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 the Chachamim, the sages, pick up on the difference of the names of God here. The time when when Israel grabs their shofars, and they blow, God stands up from the throne of Din, 
of judgment, of severity, and sits in the throne of Rachamim, of compassion. Rachamim, which derives from the word Rechem, which is a womb, a womb-like relationship towards us, rather than, you can imagine, the God who sits in the throne of judgment, deciding who shall live, who shall die, who shall be blessed, who shall be cursed, what shall you get, what shall you not get. Will I accept you, will I not, all of those things. But God then sitting in the throne of Rachamim is a different relationship. This is, I envelop you. I nurture you. You are mine. As a mother holds a child in her womb. Yechtiv Hashem b'kol shofar, because the Pasuk then uses the name of Yudke Vavke, which is the name of, of God's compassion, of that sense of that being that pervades all and fills all and envelops all. That is what happens when we blow the, the shofar through the voice, through the sound of shofar. God, in the imagination of the Midrash, stands up from that posture of judgment and rests in and transitions, shifts to that posture of rachamim. God fills with compassion for Israel and has mercy upon them. And that quality of deen of judgment itself is transformed to compassion. So now obviously this Midrash is speaking about things that are truly beyond our comprehension. How God relates to us. How our actions evoke some kind of shift in that relationship. God's decision making <laughs> these are things that we don't know these are mysteries but the midrash is saying that there's something that is affected by shofar there's something that the voice the sound of the shofar does that has to do with transforming deen to rachamim not merely replacing it right it's not like okay god kick out that chair and bring in the other chair forget the deen you made a mistake no, the midat hadim, midat hadim rachamim. That deen is transformed to rachamim. What is the process then of judgment that changes into compassion? I think we can maybe relate to this for starters on an internal level. There are things that we judge ourselves for. There are moments and experiences of, of self-judgment. And maybe you've experienced something through which you've judged yourself. And as you get deeper into what it is that you're judging, or what that action was, what that part of yourself is, where it derives from, what has caused it, what is the whole story surrounding that you may reach a point of self-compassion where that self-judgment maybe was the doorway that you started at the kind of constricted corridor where you encounter that part of yourself but as we dig more deeply to a more elemental place to a a more original place within that judgment itself might at times, transform to compassion for ourselves. And maybe we've experienced this with another person where we judge them for some behavior, something that bothers us about them. And as we dig deeper, as we enter in more closely inside of what might be going on in that person, of where that behavior might come from, of what about that behavior might bother us. We might actually find a ground of, of rachamim, of compassion. So then when it comes with, to us and God, like what, what is it about a shofar, about blowing this horn that might have some kind of similar effect where deen becomes rachamim, where through deen we, we ultimately encounter rachamim. So here, I want to bring another piece, another primary 
association that the rabbis make with shofar blowing. And that has to do with the Akedah, with the binding of Isaac. It says in the Gemara Shoshana, why do we blow a shofar shal'ayil? Why do we blow a ram's horn on Rosh Hashanah? On the day when we are encountering God's judgment? Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says, Tiku lefanai b'shofar shal'ayil, blow a ram's horn before me, k'desha ezkor lachem akedat Yitzchak ben Avraham, so that I can remember for you the binding of Yitzchak ben Avraham. Interesting way to speak about him. Isaac, the son of Abraham. And I considered as if you have bound yourselves before me. So here too, a kind of wild image, disturbing even, of the Akedah being that which moves God to accept us on this day where we are being held in judgment. Because here God sees us like Isaac who was bound on the altar. And God says, it's as if you've done this to yourselves before me. Like you've strapped yourselves to the altar to give yourselves to me. Because you've blown through the ram's horn. The ram's horn evokes the memory of the Akedah. The Akeda, which was a moment where Yitzchak was facing the threat of losing his life to God. And in that very moment of facing the knife, the ram seems to appear to take his place, right? That salvation that symbolized through the ram's horn. The Torah says, Abraham lifts his eyes, the ram is caught in the thicket, in the svach, the sibuchim, like these kind of tangled branches. The horn is caught in the entanglement. In that very moment of being all tied up and bound, like the ram and Yitzchak are one on some level, tied up on the altar, but there it is, there's a horn. And that ram can take the place of, of Yitzchak. And it was through that ram, really, that, that God granted Yitzchak life. And here the Gemara is saying, when you blow the ram, I see you giving yourselves to me. Right? I see it as if you've tied yourself on the altar to me. And here I want to come back now to the Torah's description of this day, Yom Trua, a day of Trua, a day of remembering Trua. We said that Trua means a horn blast. But Trua actually has a number of different meanings. One of the meanings of true, and this is found in a lot of the Sfarim that speak about the shofar, comes from, we see in, in Tehillim, Bet, in the second psalm, teroim b'shevet barzel. Teroim means shatter them with an iron rod. It means to break something to pieces. That's why the trua, that's the staccato, most broken cry of the shofar, is the it's shattered voice, right? Shvarim, which means broken, it has longer pieces to it. But but trua is the most broken call. It's shattered to small, tiny bits. The horn blast is a, in a sense, a sound of this shattered voice. The trua is that broken up shards being blown through the horn. And you know, Chazal, when they, they, they the way they formulate our order of blowing, right, of tkiya, shvarim, trua, tkiya, 
They said, we don't know if the kind of horn blast the Torah is speaking about is a gnuche ganach, is it some kind of groan, or is it a yelule yalel, is it a wailing cry? Right? Is it the groan of shvarim, of oh, 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 or is it the wailing cry of the true And they said, since we don't know, let's just put it all in. Let's do all of the kinds of groaning and crying. Let's blow out all of the broken voices. So on one level, when we're blowing a trua, again, not only that one final call of the shofar, but trua in general is the way that the shofar is described in the Torah. It's a day of trua. What we're doing, in a sense, is bringing to God and voicing all of our brokenness, all of our shattered bits, the smallest pieces that we are broken to, we are voicing to you. And one way we might relate to this is if Rosh Hashanah is this day of the intense encounter with our Creator, of the intense awareness that we are these created beings, and here we stand in the face of the truth of that, of our dependency, of our mortality, of all that we go through, in our human lives, of all that we fail in in our human lives, of all that we are not in our human lives, of all that we want and don't know, and, and the uncertainties and what, you know, fill in the list. So there's one mode of that encounter where all we have is, is a sense of brokenness. And rather than just kind of hide in that brokenness, we voice it on this day. We blow it through a horn over and over and over again, calling out through the voice, through that shattered voice of the Trua, all of our human experience. Right? Chazal says, we don't know if it's this kind of cry or that kind of wail. Let's include all of it. Every emotional state, every feeling, every experience we go through in our small humanness, we have a chance to just wail out and cry out on that day. We have a chance to offer ourselves in this way. In a sense, like Yitzchak on the altar, I am bound, paralyzed in my, humani in my humanity. In this mortal shell, here I am. I don't know what else there is, but I'm going to present all of me here. And I'm going to force my voice through all of those experiences to you. That's one level of trua, of the shattered bits of our humanity. But there's another meaning of trua. There's another very different meaning of trua. And we see that in the Torah and in Parshat Balak through the words of Bilam the prophet, right? Bilam the Midianite prophet who was hired to curse Israel and all he could say was words of blessing. So Bilam says, Lo he beat Avin Biakov, as he's looking upon the camp of Israel, he says, God doesn't see any shortcomings, any failures in the people of Jacob. Israel, and doesn't see any of the misdeeds of Israel. Hashem Melechbo. Hashem their God is with them, and the trua of the Melech is within them, the trua of the king. And now some of the commentators take that very literally to say, oh yeah, you know, Israel, they had these special horns. But I want to share with you some of some of Rashi's commentary here. Rashi says, Lo he beat Avin Biakov, God doesn't look at any of the sinfulness of Avam Yisrael. He says, when, when, when we violate God's word, God isn't sitting there nitpicking. God isn't sitting there contemplating all of the ways that we've let God down. God doesn't look at the Averot, the, the sins, the transgressions of Israel. 
Hashem Elokav, Imo Rashi says, Afilu machisin umanrim lefanav. Even when they anger God, even when they rebel against God, enozaz mitochan, God doesn't move an inch from within them, from among them. Hashem Elokav, Imo, right? That's what it means that God is with them. Utruat melechbo. Now, what is a trua here? What is the king's trua? Trua, Rashi says, Lashon chiba vereut. It's a word meaning affection. And love, belovedness. As it says, Re'e David, we talk about the, the lover of David. Or the way we speak in the Torah, Re'acha to love your friend, your neighbor, the one who you love, to love them, Kamocha, as yourself. Or as we say throughout Shir Hashirim, throughout the Song of Songs, Rayati, my beloved, right? Rayati. Trua is a sense of deep affection and belovedness. It's, it's actually here a love that cannot be broken. It's a love that is so fundamental that there's nothing that can be done to damage it ultimately, to ultimately break it. In a sense, this is the polar opposite of the other meaning of trua. Trua is this kind of shattered bit. This is a kind of wholeness that rests at the core that that doesn't move, that doesn't shatter, that doesn't break, an unbreakable love. Yom Trua, a day of Trua, the Torah says, when you appear before your Creator, is a day of touching this, the one who grants me life. I am God's beloved. Yom Zichron Trua, a day to recall, remember, bring back into full awareness that underlying fundamental love upon which my life depends and from which my entire life stems. We actually say this Pasuk in the Musaf of, of Rosh Hashanah in Malchiot. We say this Pasuk, Truan Melechpo. We contain, we possess the king's trua within us. So, so which one is it? Or how do these kind of hang together? On the one hand, we know Rosh Hashanah is a day of deen, a day of judgment, a day of Hashem being middakdek, of every single thing being weighed out and, and counting, right? And we know that it's a day where we experience our smallness. And in our prayers, we talk about all of the this, the way in which we are standing before the ultimate. And we have these moments, whereas on Rosh Hashanah, we don't sit there talking about our sins, right? Like we do on Yom Kippur, about all the things we did wrong. We actually really focus on on God's greatness. But you see in the Piyutim, we talk, have these, you know, sometimes we'll sing... Um, We'll sing Melech Elyon, the kind of that great song of God's kingship, and then we'll we'll stop singing for a few verses to talk about the really low stuff. It's it's there in all the crevices and, and, and the desperation and the cry and the sense of of our frailty. It's all here on Rosh Hashanah. So so the shatter itself is brought and and also the trua of, of, of that kingship, of that quality of belonging to God and with God that, that we contact and access on that day. You know, some of the some of the Sfarim speak about the tekiah and the shvarim and the trua and the tekiah is as 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 touching some of this, that that we are encompassing both all of the broken pieces. And then there's also a tekiah, there's also a simple whole sound that bookends those broken bits, that bookends all of our cries and our suffering and our groaning and our hoping and our uncertainties that we cry and wail on that day. And what a gift it is that we can do that. And that we, together with them, we also blow out the tekiah and, and, and touch the place of there is one here, there is something that holds it all together. And I want to say that 
you know, even the tru'ah of teru'im b'shevet barzel, of the shattered bits, to call something shattered, to call something broken, it means that it comes from something whole. It is only a shard if it is a piece of a unity, of an integral wholeness. And here, I believe, is where these meanings of trua really live together. And that in some fundamental way, as human beings in our human experience, we oftentimes can only contact the truat melech, the kind of affection, that kind of undying, unbreakable wholeness of love. In a sense, we have to pass through the doorway of our of our broken pieces to, to get there. And on some level, the broken pieces don't get replaced by a wholeness, but but as we voice them, as we collect each one, <laughs> as we bring it before God, as we stand in all of our modes and moments and bring ourselves moment to moment, experience by experience, in contact with God and before God and let ourselves feel all of them and find a way to be in all of them before God, it actually, in some way, may piece together and stitch together one to one, piece to piece, to let us touch the love beneath them. Touch the love that might encompass all of it. And this really, I think, has to do with that transition from Deen to Rachmin, because Deen really is, judgment is looking at one isolated moment. It's actually looking at a moment in isolation. What did you do? Where are you? What happened? Here's what happened. Here's the story. In, in Aramaic, Dain, right? the same letters, Dain means this. It's just here in this one point. That is what it means to be judged. But Rachamim is to see the entire process, the entire unfolding, to see ourselves or to be seen as a, a child who emerges from the womb or perhaps is still even in the womb. And in the womb, it is all process. Nothing is yet born. Hayom harat olam, we say every time we blow the shofar. Today, the world, the universe is conceived, is impregnated. What does it mean to bring our lives and our moments of experience back into a realm of I am still in gestation? I'm enveloped in a womb. I am part of an unfolding process that maybe hasn't fully been birthed yet. On some level, that too is a shift from Deen to Rachamim. That's where I encounter myself in one isolated moment. And in that very isolated bit, I can draw it bit by bit to my source that still holds me as a child not yet born. Still engages me in a life that is coming into being rather than that has already been lived and finished. And the, the voice of the shofar is truly symbolizing that transition from non-being into being. As we see with Yitzchak, Yitzchak is, is reaching the point of the end of his life and the shofar is that which is bringing him back into life. From that moment of it is all encapsulated in one thing. This is the end point. This is the limits 
of your life, he is given a push into continuing to live. It's a new breath being breathed into him. And simply stated, that is what the mitzvah of Shofar is. It's taking a hollow horn and blowing the breath of life into it. In a sense, it's time and time again taking this dead piece of matter and breathing life into it, hearing the sound of life that is breathed into us, into our universe, into being, breath by breath, moment by moment from the beginning, through every moment, which is another beginning. And when God says to me, you blow the shofar so that I can see you as if you were Yitzchak Avinu on the altar, you know, think about what it is that we're offering God there. We're offering our breath back by blowing the shofar. I'm saying, here I am. I'm breathing back to you. That breath that you're breathing into me, I'm breathing back to you. I'm acknowledging that this life, these moments of existence, these experiences are all breathed alive by you and I'm breathing it back. And together we are breathing me back into life. The Zohar in, in Parsha Breshit, Zandav Kafter Amudbet, the Zohar is describing those earliest stages of creation where the divine is moving from just that infinite source into the forces that create manifest reality. And the Zohar says, we all know these words, Breshit, Bara Elohim et Hashamayim, right? Hashem creates et hashamayim. Ve'apik kol the czar says, and God let out a voice from there. Ve'da'ikre kol hashofar. What is that voice? What is the sound of the very first steps of creation? It is kol hashofar. It's the sound of the shofar. Bereshi baralim et hashamayim di'ihu kol hashofar. That first moment of creation, that first movement of here is a heaven. The Zohar says this is the sound of the shofar. This is the sound, the voice of breath bringing life into material existence. When we bring those shattered bits, those experiences of Deen, we experience them in the face of God, of our Creator, of the Rachaman who has given us life. We have an ability, an opportunity to thread, bring that single shard back to its source. Bring that one moment, that one experience, this moment in which I experience myself, to connect it to my core. And to bit by bit be breathed back to life through each of those shards. Rav Cook, in his Orata Chuva, in Parak Bet, the second chapter, he actually speaks about the movement of Chuva, the kind of elevated energy that moves us towards tshuva, he speaks about it as, in a sense, awakening to our sense of separateness and desiring to be made whole again. I'll read a little bit from his words, and here Rav Kook, as, uh, you know, Kedarko in his, in his ways, is poetic and, 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 and somewhat grand, and I'll, I'll try to just share his words here. The, the most elevated shuva of return. It comes from the lightning flash, that moment of illumination of Hatov HaKlali, the all-inclusive, all-encompassing goodness. The goodness, the divine goodness that dwells in all 
realms of existence in all universes. Or Chai Ha'olamim, it's the light of the life of all universes, that flow of life itself. Nishmat kol ha'atzilut mitztahered lefanenu behodah ukdushatah kamash alav yechol ispog. The soul of all emanation, of all emergence, takes shape before us in its glory and its holiness to the degree, to whatever degree the, le- the heart can absorb. Now the Rav Kook says, Sounds like he's even speaking from, in a sense, witnessing this moment. What is it like to be in that experience? Isn't it true that there is such goodness to all things. The yosher, the straightness, the sort of sense of rightness, and the goodness within us, he says, does it not come from our belonging to all? Right, what is tshuva on an inner level? Tshuva on an inner level is the feeling of I'm living out of alignment and I want to come back to alignment. That there's an alignment that is inherent to me that I feel has either been distorted or that I've been somehow out of touch with. And Rav Cook says that sense of a basic alignment and a basic goodness in me that I want to return to, it, it's emerges from my belonging to everything in the universe. From that all-encompassing, there is something right here. There is something fundamentally good that we become detached from, distant from, and and, and broken away from, really. And this isn't our fault. (laughs) And this isn't an accusation. This is how we live. This is the experience of life. Oh, time and time again, over and over again being disconnected from that or thrust away from it and the desire to contact that here of cook is saying that can emerge from being aware of it in its allness look at his words this is really what i wanted to get to he says how can i be torn away from the all from everything a sort of strange crumb, mufrad ke avakdak, separated out like a tiny speck of dust that's insignificant. Here, of Cook is speaking to the inner experience that that may drive our desire to reconnect. How can I be torn from everything? Maybe we don't necessarily feel the Havraka of Tov Kleli that he's talking about. Maybe I don't see this kind of illuminating, shining goodness. Maybe all I feel is, how can I be torn from everything? How can I be this avakdak, this speck of dust, a strange crumb? That feeling of estrangement comes from my deeper knowing that I belong to that wholeness. He says from this awareness, which is a truly divine awareness, for, for individuals, for the collective. This is what drives our desire to return. The sense of how can I live torn from everything? How can I continue to exist as this detached shard again going back to that sense of trua i need to collect all of my truas all of my shattered bits all of my shards i i'm I'm crying wailing them i don't have words for them i'm blowing them i'm listening to them i'm voicing them with a yearning to connect to that true of affection of love of a unbroken friendship of a belonging You know, I believe this is also why the shofar is is the sound that calls together all of the dispersed people. You remember then that's that's what was true in the in the Israelite camp. That's what we say on on, on Rosh Hashanah as well. And Uvav Havudim Eretz Ashur Vishtachu Hashem Bahar Kodesh. When are all of the exiled 
refugees, all the people who've been dispersed in their exiles throughout the four corners of the universe, what's going to call us all back together? It's the sound of the shofar. In a great sound of shofar. What this means is that shofar, again, is that koach, it's that energy, it's that voice of piecing together the disparate parts, piecing together all of those exiled crumbs to bring them back home, to bring them back together. There's one more piece of the Zohar that I want to share because it just, every year I think about this in Rosh Hashanah, I return to it and and and, and it just speaks to me so deeply and I, and, I, and I believe is related to this process we're describing. Zoran Parsha Pinchas, Reish Lamed Aleph, Amud Aleph. It says that on the day of Rosh Hashanah, there's these great judgments, these great courts being, you know, held in session. And they are to accuse us. And there are, there, there are those there to defend us. And the sins of the world and of each and every one are brought back to memory, as Zohar is describing. And here the Zohar is actually going to describe a practice that we don't do on Rosh Hashanah. We don't confess our sins on Rosh Hashanah. But as you'll see, the Zohar speaks about this. And the Arizal actually had a practice to, to do confession, to do vidui in an in a inaudible whisper during shofar blasts. I'm not saying that to suggest that we take on those practices. <laughs> But that in a sense, there's an awareness here that all of the pratim, all of the details are are being recalled here on this day, right? The Yom HaZikaron, it's the day of the remembrance where all the pieces, all the days, all the moments are, are brought back to memory, back to awareness. And the Zohar says, because this court is called in session and because the court's there to examine us, Therefore, a person needs to be explicit about their deeds. Each and every one. Why? Because one who is explicit and pronounces each of their sins, the Zohar says, each of their misdeeds, their judgment then is placed only in the hands of the king alone. Only in the hands of God, not in the court, right? The court comes to examine us, to pin us down, to really evaluate us. But if we are proactive and allow for each of these, you know, the whole examination to just come out, so then our judgment comes right to God. And if God is judging somebody, so then it is for good. It isn't these courts, it isn't these forces, these you know, however you want to understand that. It's it's bringing all of ourself to God's own self. And the Zohar brings some sukim to back that up. Goes on v'aldan, therefore, itzrich lo nafar shachovin t'kol shayfa v'shayfa. And therefore, the Zohar says a person should be explicit about the chovin, the misdeeds of each and every limb. Choman da'avid bifrat, each and each part of our being, of our body, of our actions in detail. Again, if we want to just move this away from the particular practice that, that, that seems to be describing here, part of what this is talking about is allowing for each piece of ourselves to be there. Is there shame? Maybe there's shame. Is there a sense of something that's been out of alignment or out of touch? Maybe so. Is there a sense of something that's been that's maybe inadequate? Maybe that too. But I'm going to spend this time piecing together each and every one of my limbs, each and every piece of me, however it is, to present it to God alone. And here too, the Zohar brings more psukim, and, and this is really... Where where it, the Zohar takes it home, my tama, 
Why is it that this is the way to overcome the judgment, right? Those courts that are assembling on this day. Why? Somebody who's explicit, who's honest, who uncovers all of these deeds. So the the the, the courthouse, the Beidin, they, they go away from this person. They've got nothing to do with this person. Why? Begin the barnash karev the garme v'lo itzdan al pume. And here you have to understand the the humor of the czar. <laughs> There's a principle in the Gemara: ben adam karov le'atzma. A person is considered a karov, a family relative, someone very close to themselves. Which means, if I'm brought to court, for example, I can't, I can't serve as a witness for my brother or sister or a family member because I'm karov. But ben adam karov la'atzmo means I have ultimate invested interest in myself and so therefore my testimony is meaningless. Nobody can take my testimony. So if I'm there speaking about all of my own misdeeds and I can say, and I did this and I did this and I messed this up and I've been... The base team says, I have to throw out the entire thing. Because Ben Adam Karov Asma, we don't take we don't take testimony from a person but themselves. We can't trust them. <laughs> They're not judged by what they say. <laughs> it's 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 the greatest humor, but I believe that, that it's actually speaking the truth here. What it's trying to say to us. Maybe. Is that what is the whole process of Deen anyway? What is the purpose of this kind of scrutiny that we encounter on this day, or whenever we come to, to face our Creator, what is the Deen? The Deen's there to become Karov Latsma. The Deen's there to bring us into close contact with our reality, close contact with ourselves, to bring us to truth, to honesty. And when we come closer to our truth, we are coming closer to God here. I speak the truth of each and every one of my limbs, of each and every one of my deeds and my moments. I'm being accountable here and I'm just saying it as it is and presenting myself as I am to God. So so God's accepting me there. If God is my judge, it's latav. It's for good. Because I'm karov la'atzma. There aren't these other voices there to hold me in judgment and scrutinize me. It's not because I haven't been off or away or broken by life or made mistakes. It's because I've found the path to myself here. And that's what I'm offering before God. I want to end here with with a story. The mashal of the Baal Shem Tov that, that he told before shofar blowing. And there's different versions of the story. And there's the famous story with his Baltokeir of Ulf Kitsis that is a very similar story. But... This is a version that comes from the Keter Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov said a, a parable about Tkiot Shofar. That there was a great and wise king who created some kind of achizat inayim, an optical illusion of walls and watchtowers and gates. And told, the king told his uh you know, the people in his kingdom, in his court, he said, go to all the rooms and I want you to spread out all of the king's treasures in all the different rooms there. And then the king invited, invited people to enter the palace. And there were those who walked into a specific doorway, got through one of the gates and took some of the treasures and walked home. And then another who walked into this gate and one who collected this and collected that. But then there was the king's beloved son who wasn't really so interested in going into those rooms and taking little tchotchkes and treasures but wanted to go to the king himself wanted to come close to his father 
And when he did that, so he saw that, wait a minute, these walls aren't even real. It's an optical illusion. That the desire to come close allowed him to, to just push himself through what appeared to be standing in his way. And that which stood in his way, he realized, wasn't something to keep him from approaching God, but was actually something that could also grant him access. There's depth upon depth in this story, but, but for our context here, for shofar, for bringing our shattered bits and walking through them to, to contacting that underlying closeness, the love, the connection. For us to be able to transform the deen to rachamim, not by ignoring the deen, but by standing in it to the best of our ability, as fully as we can, as honestly as we can, to appear in honesty before our Creator here. Make space for whatever we encounter there. Allow it to come up and come out. Be the voices of the shofar that invites all of the bits and pieces. And that also, through that, brings us to touch the, the tkia, the simple whole voice that, you know, actually halachically, the tekiah has to be as long as the shvarim and as the truah. You know how beautiful that is? That the, the voice of wholeness has to parallel and encompass the broken voices too. They are in dialogue with each other. We are threading them together as we blow the shofar in this day. And even without shofar, this is the, this is the core identity and quality of this day. This is the avoda of this day. This is the state. This is the practice. This is what we're in in this day. It's this practice of letting our pieces come up and bringing each one to find its place in piecing together the wholeness, our own wholeness. Shana Tova. A year of brachot and yeshuot, of blessings and redemption and healing on all levels. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Kohn. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.